0: It's May 16th, 2018, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation.
1: I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up, Melly James returns to the studio to tell us about an upcoming HVCA luncheon focused on blockchain and cryptocurrency. And then we'll talk to
0: Brooke Conner, the Chief Information Officer over at the Department of Education, and we'll learn about some of their Sort of key i t initiatives
1: but first up let's welcome Melly James back to the show, always wearing many hats, and this is the h v c a hat, the Hawaii venture Capital Association. Tell us about this upcoming lunch, and welcome to the show, Melly
2: thanks Ryan, thanks, Bert.
0: yeah, so you know, I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you is uh just about everywhere we go and you know we hear about uh, startups and they always kind of throw in the the whole blockchain piece of their uh ideation process and That's part of their business. I mean, how did, so how did, is blockchain that sort of top of mind that it's now a uh, HVCA luncheon?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. You know, what we'll be talking about is, you know, blockchain technology and how it's impact, how it can be impacting your business. We have a lot of our members and and guests that come to, to hear our luncheons interested in kind of what's the future of their business, what should they be looking out for? Um, and that's, that's obviously a very hot topic. So we'll be touching on a lot of the areas that blockchain and, and crypto, you know, can be touching, whether that's in real estate and voting and all of these other applications through payment processing um, that that can be, uh, th- that they should be looking for.
1: Well, I'm certainly... Uh, aware of the attempts to uh, integrate blockchain the public ledger that kind of accountability and uh, distributed systems in many industries real estate for sure uh and so i imagine for the hvca there's kind of the two sides of it one it's implement uh, implementation and its implications for what you might call conventional business but because it's also the venture capital association you're looking at ways that uh it could be leveraged by a startup by an investment uh vehicle for exponential growth
2: absolutely we have a lot of vcs that are coming into town saying hey do you have any startups that are using blockchain technology in any piece of their business um so we're seeing that on multiple levels why this is important for H V C to cover whether that's from a developer standpoint um business person standpoint and many others
0: so when um i know when you were with uh uh, blue Startups, and even with Sultan Ventures, I mean, th- a lot of the accelerators now, I mean, when I talk to Shanoa, she says, every startup now has a blockchain element in mm-hmm. their startup uh, uh, sort of business model. Uh, I don't know if, does Mana Up cohort, uh, do they have sort of blockchain woven in, or is this pretty for much... Pies, the- <laughs> for pies, for what you made yeah, pies. Yeah,
2: I, I mean, that will be a lot of, um, you know, if, if anyone wants to pay with Bitcoin, we'll certainly <laughs> take that for, um, you know, e-commerce and online purchasing for products. So it it, it covers everything. I mean, it's...
1: Yeah, I would imagine, though, that part of the panel, uh, based on what Bird is saying might be to perhaps dispel or try to clear away some of the hype, some of the unfounded excitement and enthusiasm that might be surrounding this, where people are telling stories that just by putting the word blockchain in their company names, their valuations go up for no other reason but
2: that. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. I mean, even looking at healthcare, this is an area that's that's really changing things. And looking at you know IBM even putting in a billion dollars into you know healthcare uh, blockchain technology, so it it's. It's coming, coming from so many different directions. I think a lot of people don't know much and they don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice conversation to get some different perspective. Um, and and you know, typical HVCA style, our members and audience love asking qu- questions. So you learn so much just via the perspective of the questions being mm-hmm. asked. It's always well, a good interaction.
0: I like the fact that you have uh, cryptocurrencies as part of the discussion, which is really the whole area of how how do uh, sort of blockchain use different kinds of, uh, I guess, ledgering for mining these sort of cryptocurrencies. B- uh, Bitcoin is just one of them, but mm-hmm. there's like a bunch of them. And now they have things called initial coin offerings. Yep. And I think if you ask your panels uh, about you know uh, cryptocurrencies, many of them will say it's a high risk area. I mean, proceed at your own risk.
2: Yeah. Actually, one of our panelists just had, uh, had an ICO. Fantastic. Yeah, I think it's a Cicerone coin. (laughs) I think you get a free beer in Canada or something.
1: Well, (laughs) that I think might actually have some legs. So one of the best parts, like you said, was the conversation, the questions from the audience. But it's also because you have jam-packed panels. So who are the subject matter experts that will be presenting at this HVCA luncheon?
2: Yes. So we've got Gordon Bruce, who is uh, Gordo, the tech czar. We all know Gordon Bruce.
1: Absolutely.
2: Uh, We have Russell Casignaro. Who is the CEO and founder of Wampay, One of the startups that had gone through Blue Startups.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we also have Peter K, who is um, with Cybercom.
1: Yeah, your computer minute. No yes,
2: anymore. yeah, <laughs> and um, Brian Zisk, who's the founder of the Future of Money and Tech Summit. Now we know
0: we know Gordo from uh, the you know his his experience uh, over at the City and County as a CIO there. Uh, but where, what is his blockchain sort of background? I mean, you said that uh, he might be currently kind of involved with. A major initiative, IT.
2: Yes, he's doing quite a bit of consulting work um, with many corporations here in Hawaii and and has given quite a few talks um, in the blockchain world and in crypto. And also has an ICO himself, which he'll be talking about at the luncheon.
1: That might also involve beer, I think.
2: Yes, (laughs) maybe we'll be having beer at lunch tomorrow.
0: And I did hear uh, Peter Kay talk in front of uh, a legislative information briefing on the topic of blockchain yes. and, and a cryptocurrency. And
2: he'll be doing a version of that talk, um, a slightly shorter version of that talk to open up the luncheon panel. I
0: mean, that in and of itself is already entertaining.
1: Worth the price of admission. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and we know Russell I mean previously with HIC and now uh, Wampay, previously Wampum, which is all about uh, that kind of ind- independent distributed payment system. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be a great conversation with blockchain in the title. Surely yeah. the RSVPs are filling up. So if somebody was interested in sitting in and enjoying some delicious food at this um, HVCA luncheon, where can they go for more information?
2: They can go to hvca.org, and we're also on Eventbrite. Tomorrow, oh, um, the luncheon's 11.30 to one thirty at the Plaza Club.
1: Fantastic. Well, we
0: will certainly be there, and, of course, uh, we want to thank you,
2: Melly, for joining us. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Always Ryan. Always good to have you. And, of
0: course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Brooke Connor, and he is from the Department of Education, and he'll tell us about their strategic plan, their IT initiatives, and everything happening with regard to technology in the public schools. This is Byte Marks Cafe.
3: Support for Byte Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ulupono Initiative and Impact Hub Honolulu co working. I love public radio because it makes me laugh, it makes me cry, it makes me think, it makes me squirm. It just is a wonderful thing for me, and I love being there in that space.
0: Member supported, Hawaii Public
3: Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see.
0: Welcome back to Bike Marks Cafe. Now, joining us is Brooke Connor. Of course, he is the Chief Information Officer over at the Department
1: of Education. Prior to the DOE, Brooke held high-level IT positions at S.A. Lauder Companies, Morgan Stanley, Bloomberg, and was an adjunct professor at New York University. And, of course, uh, I did want to mention this, that his name is really
0: David Brookshire Connor. I, need, right. I just wanted to say that. And it, I like the fact that mouthful. you 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 abbreviated or shortened it to Brooke. Brooke, welcome to Bite Marks Cafe.
1: Thank you, Bert. Thank you, Ryan. Glad to be here. Now, Brooke, I think I want to start with that biography. I mm-hmm. mean, that is a relatively impressive range of companies and experience. It sounds like a lot of corporate IT at a high performance level. What drew you to the largest single unified state government
3: school district uh, in the country. So one of the things you won't see in that list is a real commonality of industries. Yes, I've been in IT positions, but Estee Lauder Company is very different company from Morgan Stanley, very different from Bloomberg. Bloomberg is a media company. Mm-hmm. Morgan Stanley clearly is a big investment bank. Estee Lauder makes makeup. K-12, to the education, yet another industry. Part of what I love being a lifelong learner is figuring out how new industries work and tick. I found out when I got here, of course, Oh wait, this is public sector, so there's another industry I'm learning at the same time, which is politics. Mm. So that's been that's been great <laughs> fun for me in terms of new challenges and lots of fun things great, to do. Great
1: fun is an interesting way of putting that.
0: In fact, I have seen you at the Capitol.
3: Yes, we've, Walking we've the run hallways. into each other <laughs> from time to time with various bills and various initiatives and, and now, whatnot. tell me
0: how was the transition from sort of like the Wall Street, you know, all the large corporations in New York City to coming over to Honolulu?
3: So that's been that's been a lot of fun too. Of of course I had great fun teasing my friends back in New York when the weather was really bad and they'd say oh it's 27 degrees and I'd say yeah it's it's 22 here. Of course that's celsius. So <laughs> yeah, and then they then they'd swear and you know we'd move on from there. As far as the the transition into working at at the DOE that's been that's been great. There's been, of course, a tremendous sense of aloha. And unlike every other company that I've worked with, every single person that I've met at the Department of Education, I really like working with them. And And you've been on the job for
1: eight months? Not quite eight months. Oh my!
3: September 25th. So I got a few more days before I hit eight months. so.
0: So eight months into the job, somebody has tasked you with coming up with the IT strategic plan. What was the first thing, and perhaps you can even tell us what the second and third thing were that uh, got you started on developing this plan.
3: So it it started out right from the the beginning. Uh, about the third day on the job, I went to one of our leadership meetings where we met with the complex area superintendents mm-hmm. from across the islands, 15 of, of those people, along with the assistant superintendents across the rest of the DOE. And that's one of the things where we get together, we talk story, we figure out what the the problems are and how to solve them collectively and going forward. And three days on the job, asking them, what's not working right with technology? What can we do better? What can we improve? Well, the conversation started (laughs) from there and has continued since then. And so part of what I've been doing is trying to, to synthesize that and figure out What's the the common themes? What are the things that we can do centrally and do them more effectively, hopefully for less money, but also maintain the flexibility so that we can do something very different for a school like Ka'u on the Big Island versus central middle school here in downtown Honolulu. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very different kinds of school experiences, different populations, different kids with different needs. So that's part of what we need.
1: So, Brooke, I'm curious about how much of your vision, your day-to-day work, your focus, the things you have to spend time on. You know, when a lot of people think of the DOE, it is the uh, unique in its statewide nature and its funding. Um, And a lot of times you might be focused as much on what gets all the way down to the student in the classroom as you might at the highest levels in terms of just keeping that organism, that organization running. Some might call bureaucracy, but certainly just sure. the administration of technology in a large department is a challenge.
3: So it, it is definitely a, a balancing act to keep, keep the lights on, handle the the crises, sometimes those crises are a little bit more urgent and on point and in in the news. Obviously, we've been keeping an eye on communication and networking on the big island as everything has been happening there. But if you've got good people working for you, and I certainly do have a, a great team of technologists working for me, then you can move that forward and make enough room to step back and say, okay, where are the pieces? How can we connect the dots? How can we find out what's the same about this school and that school, or not necessarily exactly the same, but same enough so that we can build one solution for them all and, and move that ahead.
0: Now, one of the things that uh, people would typically assign to a chief information officer is obviously connectivity and enabling yep. the organization to function, whether it's a uh, Servers or email or providing, you know, networked applications. Sure. But I think there is an additional element of your job, which is how do you enable the students to also take advantage of this technology? Unlike, let's say, University of Hawaii, where they still have to do the basic, you know, the infrastructure, but it's pretty much the students come in with their own devices. Yeah, in In, you know, the public schools, you have to figure out ways to enable them. Is That's that part right. of your job as well?
3: That is. That is. That's one of the things that historically we've been letting the schools figure out for themselves, and they've done a great job. I, I like to point out that most chief information officers struggle to figure out how to do innovation, and they stand up an innovation center. I've got 256 of them. Mm-hmm. Of course, I have 256 innovation centers. And how do I get them all? <laughs> They're all different. Yeah. So part of what I'm trying to figure out is, How do we get to a place where, again, we have that choice and flexibility? You're not going to put a Chromebook with a keyboard in front of a kindergartner that can't yet read. But a touchscreen device, sure, that works well. So you need that kind of flexibility for what works for that student. Mm -hmm. If you've got a high school student that is working in an academy focused on performing arts or media production, you're giving them a Mac because that's what media professionals use day in and day out. If they're doing architecture or construction, they're using AutoCAD. I'm sorry, AutoCAD only comes on a PC. You're going to give them a PC. But we can do that in a way that gives them a better solution upgraded regularly by looking across the entire state and bringing all of those together and saying, look, we're not buying 200 laptops at one time. We're buying 180,000 laptops at one time. Or a third of those to get a three-year refresh. Mm. So we can look for those kinds of, of opportunities across the state and give us something better for less money.
1: But you've made an example there of you know some schools might have a particular program that's strong in multimedia or another that's right. pr- strong in programming or another that's uh, uh, strong in CAD and something that's very math-intensive and processor-intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, how, does that, how, do you, how could you possibly you know, manage the different allocations? Because certainly the cost of 10 iPads could get you, you know, 250 Chromebooks, for that's example. Right. Like, it, keeping that
3: uh, equal or at least well distributed has got to be a challenge. So, so it is. But that's where you start to get into the question of data and management and bringing together all the information about what the students are doing and providing equity for everybody. Some students, simply by the nature of who they are, they're going to have special needs. They're going to need special equipment, special gear, special capabilities just to support their their education. That's one of the things we can do, that we can do a better job using technology. You've got a, a vision impairment as a student. Well, We can give you a screen that we can adjust the size of the fonts and everything, and now you can read on a device where you couldn't read a standard textbook before. So... That is going to be a huge amount of data driving that decision, automating that, which is the same thing companies are talking about, and this is where my corporate experience comes in, in terms of how do you get things done faster, better. You bring in data, you make informed decisions based on that data, and then you automate those decisions based on that data. And then make sure that you allow for exceptions. You don't just want the software driving things because the software isn't going to figure out everything. AI aside... There's going to be places where we say we need to do something special and unique right here for this situation.
0: So, you know, you, you said that there are uh, 256 uh, innovation centers. I mean, that, that probably represents all the schools that are in Hawaii. Exactly. Uh, where do you see your span of influence uh, impacting what the school ultimately purchases? I know you yep. just talked about laptops, talk about the iPads. Uh, how far down do you go? And at what point in time does the school actually make decisions on, let's say, you know, they want to do some STEM learning kits. I mean, sure. w- does that play into your
3: jurisdiction? So I, it plays into it. I wouldn't say that I'm the one dictating that because mm-hmm. then we're losing the benefits of that innovation mm-hmm. center. Mm-hmm. We very much want school empowerment, complex area empowerment, We want the schools to be able to figure out the best way to meet the needs of their own kids. So what we're trying to do is make sure that we understand what the schools are doing, that we support them. I've been telling my team, we're not here to be successful ourselves. We're here to make sure the students are successful. If the KK aren't successful, I don't care how cool our technology is, we haven't succeeded. So rather than saying, you must use this STEM kit, or that STEM kit, or this programming environment or that programming environment for your computer science classes, we're saying, tell us what you're doing. Tell us what we can do to help make that easier. And some of that is going to be very classic IT stuff, making sure that we tie in logging into your computer to the student information systems that we've got, making sure that we enable. That if you are a high school student in a computer science class, you get access to a virtual environment where you can do programming and automating that so the school doesn't have to spend so much time operating technology mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. can spend more time teaching the kids.
0: So we do want to jump into some of the uh, things that uh, are, are maybe outlined in your strategic plan. We want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Brooke Connor. <laughs> About IT and the DOE, this is Bite Marks Cafe.
3: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Locations, Akahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine, and Hawaii Pacific University.
1: Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa, and we're talking to Brooke Conner, CIO at the DOE. Now, right before the break, uh, we were kind
0: of hinting about the uh, strategic plan. And, Brooke, maybe you can sort of, you know, quickly outline what are some of the major things. Do you want to fix old things, like lotus notes, or do you want to (laughs) set up (laughs) some new directions in terms of, you know, how technology is incorporated into the
3: schools? So, both. (laughs) Or the jerky computer science answer, yes. (laughs) So... Lotus Notes was actually an interview question. Mm-hmm. They asked me, you may have noticed we use Lotus Notes. I very carefully answered, yes, I noticed. Why? And then they said, can you do anything about it? And I said, yes, absolutely. I can do something about that. And that is something that that we're doing. We're looking across the department at legacy systems that have gotten hard to maintain, costly to maintain, and figuring out how do we modernize them. How do we modernize them in a way that focuses on a prototype-oriented, design-thinking-oriented approach where we can see immediate value, maybe not for everybody, maybe just for some small groups, make sure that it works, and then scale that out to everything. Which brings us to the second part of the question, what is everything? There is a lot of stuff that goes into making an enterprise the size of the Department of Education run. We are number 10 on the list of school districts in the country when you count how big we are in terms of employees, 45,000 employees, 180,000 quote-unquote customers all day, every day, $2 billion budget approximately, that sounds like a Fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. As you said at the the top of the discussion, that's something I'm kind of comfortable with dealing with that sort of operation. But you need to look at all the capabilities that we need, and this is what the technology plan talks about. And there's maybe 20 or so of those, which is too much to sit down and and talk and get your hands on altogether. Mm -hmm. So we grouped them, divide and conquer, classic computer science approach, and we grouped them into three buckets. There's the playground, what we call the playground, which is what the kids are actually doing in the classroom, whether it's programming, a makerspace, playing Minecraft, because that's that's a thing. (laughs) It, Um, It sure is. Doing their classwork, following along on Wikipedia articles, watching how-to videos on YouTube, all that stuff. That's all the playground space. Grading, the teacher's presentations, all that stuff. The instructional layer is all the things the schools need to run. Mm -hmm. Tracking the students, student information, the curricula that we need to make sure that they cover, the standardized tests that they need to do. The school planning, how many teachers are we going to need next year? How many plumbers are we going to need next year? How many cafeteria workers are we going to need next year? But also the school operation. How do the students pay for lunches? How do we schedule the buses? How do we set up the bell schedule? And, of course, we also need reporting. We need to be able to say how well the schools are doing to the taxpayers, to the federal government, to the state government, to everybody. So that's the instructional layer of capabilities. And finally is the enterprise layer. Like I said, this is like a Fortune 500 company. You've got a big enterprise. You're going to need all the classic enterprise technology, identity, device management, asset management, HR management, financial management, the network, all that kind of stuff. And again, you look at each one of those, any one of those could be a big multi-year enterprise project. Over the course of five to 10 years, I believe we will get to every single one of them. Again, not all at once and certainly not in a we're going to build a three-year project and we're going to have some results at the end of three years. No, we're going to start with a prototype, start with a pilot and get there. So how do we figure out which ones we get to? That's the second part of the plan. Three criteria. Is it running well? If it isn't, that's short on the list to get there. Mm -hmm. Lotus Notes, yeah, okay, maybe that's short (laughs) on the list. Two, is it designed to innovate? Is it designed to get continually better? And if you've got technology that isn't designed that way in this day and age, uh, you're falling behind every single minute. And finally, we're going to look at projects. We're going to look at investment. Let's make sure we put the investment in the right place. Is it making my life easier or is it making the students' lives easier? It's clear which one we need to, to go with. So that's the plan in a in a nutshell so we'll go through all the capabilities that we have use the criteria to figure out which ones need to go first and Put those in as, as pilots, and we've got multiple ones of those underway already.
1: So this plan is coming together eight months, not quite eight months on the job. Um, certainly it's an evolving document as you gather more information. As you said, it's about data and using that that's data to right. make decisions. Um, but is this something that is coming together, that is presented, that is something that can now sure. be referenced by your different innovation centers, your different schools across the state?
3: That's right. So it's something that's been presented to the Board of Education already. That means it's a public record. People can go out there and read it. I've been sharing it with schools, with principals, with the complex areas, continuing to get feedback. There will be more board presentations, of course, because it is a public document. It will be – it is a living document. It has to change. As I told the board, I'm not going to stand up here and say I know where technology is going to be five years from now. I'm not a venture capitalist claiming to know that. Um, So – it's going to have to update. It's directional more than anything else.
0: Now, one of the things that uh, was uh, kind of an important uh, piece of legislation that passed this session was the idea of computer science and education. And I want to get yes. your thoughts in the last uh, you know minute or so about where you see that really kind of impacting your area or how your area might impact computer science and education.
3: So it's clearly an a area of curriculum that I'm going to be very actively supporting, both in terms of technology is clearly pretty essential to making that successful, but also personally, I was a computer science major in in college. Mm -hmm. I've been programming since middle school or something like that, so I care about this a lot. But it's something that is more than that. I believe computer science is, and the concepts of computer science and the concepts of design thinking, are things that should be influencing Wide parts of the curriculum. It's not just a subject matter in itself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be putting that in practice with all the projects for all those capabilities. Every time we've got one, we're going to do a design thinking exercise with some of our students and get input from them and give them a real world experience on what it means to design a system like this. That is for their own benefit. For the benefit of their friends, for their family, and going back into supporting the school.
1: So project-based learning, I can see very quickly. I mean, yes. to help Bert toot his horn, interested in hackathons and doing yep. educational hackathons, that's on
3: your uh, roadmap as well? Yes, indeed. Every single RFP will be preceded by a hackathon or a buildathon or some sort of exercise of that sort with the kids in our own schools.
1: I like it.
0: I think I heard you mention some way, somewhere uh, the thing is you need to uh, replicate the process. Because yes. you or me, we're going to have a hard time doing 256 hackathons. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, And that's, it, and and that's one of do. the places
3: where I would look to school empowerment and school innovation. If we can help the schools figure that out, they'll run. Well,
0: around. we're certainly going to have you come back because I know there's a lot more to talk about. Brooke Conner is the Chief Information Officer over at the Department of Education. want to thank you for joining us today.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Please join us next week when we'll talk to David Golko about pyramid corals.
0: And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarksCafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at BiteMarks.org.
1: You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at ByteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR1 every Wednesday, or you can listen to us anytime via the HPR app. And of course, you stay safe, and we
0: will see you next week on another edition of Byte Marks Cafe. <laughs>